Hey, everybody. So is your child or grandchild going off the deep end? Or are you just worrying a bit too much? Coming up, how to tell and what to do about it if they are right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Barack Obama's campaign team is jumping all over opponent Mitt Romney's comments that were recorded secretly about 47 percent of Americans expecting a government handout. The campaign published a web ad featuring voters voicing disgust at Romney's comments and it cited them at a fundraising email to backers. Spokesman Jay Carney says Obama heartily disputes Romney's observation that those who don't pay income taxes won't take responsibility for their lives. The president certainly doesn't think that men and women on Social Security are irresponsible. And then there's the tone. He really doesn't believe that dividing us into categories and groups is the right way to move forward as a nation. Carney says a president must also represent those he thinks will never vote for him. Mark Smith at the White House. NATO commanders are making a bold move to try and stop insider attacks from killing more, any more allied troops in Afghanistan. NATO is temporarily scaling back partnered operations with the Afghans amid fears of more attacks. They're a signal of the inability of these two institutions to work together effectively at junior levels. George Washington University's Stephen Biddle, an occasional advisor to American commanders in Afghanistan, says it cuts to the heart of the U.S. strategy of closely training Afghans before handing over security in 2014. Partnered operations will now require a regional commander's approval. Sagar Megani at the Pentagon. A vote is expected this afternoon by the teachers' union in Chicago on a new labor agreement to end the strike. Some teachers' union delegates say they will take straw polls of the rank and file at their schools to judge support for a new contract. Others warn they still don't trust the school board and they want even more information. What is known right now is that the tentative three-year measure will include raises each year, a reworked teacher evaluation system, and job security for laid-off teachers. Pressure is mounting on the delegates to back the plan, which labor and education experts call a good deal. I'm Tim McGuire. A report from the Trust for America's Health and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is predicting serious consequences for the nation if obesity continues to expand at current levels. Trust for America's Health Chief Jeff Levy says it's a bleak outlook. By the year 2030, at least 44% of adults in every state in the country could be obese. It could be above 50% in 39 states and 60% in 13 states. And to make matters worse... Medical costs associated with obesity could increase by $48 billion to $66 billion per year. And that doesn't include billions in lost productivity. Even worse, we could see 6 million new cases of diabetes, 5 million new heart attack and stroke cases, and more than 400,000 new cases of obesity-related cancers. David Melendi, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every Monday through Friday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program, everybody. Today is the day we're going to fix all those wacky kids of yours. You know, the ones that have gone off the deep end, 
Have you ever had uh, your parents say that? You have gone off the deep end uh, with kids like you. Who needs enemies? Um, That's what we're talking about on the show. How do you handle the rebellious child, the child that has decided, you know what? I'm going my own way. Okay? I don't even care that you're a CPA dad. I'm going to get into music, and I'm going to play in a band. (laughs) Okay, that's half of our people that work on my staff right there. Um, So if you're a parent out there that's a CPA and your child wants to be in a band and play the bass guitar, you must be a Tobin, named after Bryce Tobin, one of our great uh, producers here. So welcome uh, to the show, everybody. We've got a good one for you because I think in the end, maybe what ends up happening to us is sometimes our kids truly are rebellious. You know, they're doing, they're getting arrested, stuff like that, drugs, you know, falling off the deep end. And other times the kids are just being kids. And so on the show today, we want to see if we can't differentiate the difference between just being, you know, a kid uh, and being seriously somebody we need to watch out for, maybe have a little intervention with um, and help them that way. Okay, now how this all came about is I had a client that came into my office. So I do a lot of relationship coaching, helping Families, couples, people learn to talk and talk through their big issues. And a mother came in and visited me. And this is basically where it all started. Is she said, I'm losing him. I'm losing him. She got all emotional and it was sad. And she really was convinced her child was gone. And I'm like, and then when I hear that, I'm like, oh boy, drugs? Is it drugs? And she's like, no, it's not drugs. Uh, is, it, is it a lady? Has he got a girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And um, then she started to tell me, about what her 16-year-old has been doing. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, because there's a lot of trouble you can get into with these people. And in the end, um, he hasn't done anything, really. He's touched a girl's hand and uh, probably, you know, affected him because apparently it's supposed to do that. And the ends, I guess the end of it all is he really isn't that far off. So everything she sat and told me for this entire 45-minute meeting, um, I'm pretty like, "Mm mm-hmm. Done that, been there, did that when I was 14, 15, 16, all fairly normal behavior. The problem, though, is mom was thinking it was crazy because mom's reading this child as an adult and not necessarily seeing that kids have issues. Kids have developmental stages. We're growing through certain things. And she didn't know how to handle it. So she's kind of gone overboard and has now offended him, offended the girl called her every name from here to wherever, and all of a sudden um, there's a disconnect between mom and dad and child. And now the child, interestingly, is starting to hide things. He's now sneaking on the buses. He's not quite – he's not coming home when he's supposed to. He's starting to lie. So here's the idea. Is it really rebellion or is it just, you know – Kids being kids, we're going to be bringing on an expert to talk about that because you know what? We, it's not enough to just call them those crazy teens. Um, at some point, we're going to have to learn to deal with them. So we are going to bring in an expert that's going to help us decide what to do, how to do it, and when we really need to intervene. So we'll be talking about that. Also, are you worried about when your teen or adult child or grandchild is up to? Are you worried about that? Does that scare you? Have you ever worried that they're going off the deep end? Well, maybe it's not that bad. So your kid is going off the deep end. You first spotted it back in high school. He used to wear those nice button-up polo shirts you bought him, but pretty soon he's wearing that T-shirt that looked like the Captain Crunch logo, only somebody had turned it into some kind of clever or somewhat rude joke. And he'd go off to school, pants sagging, wearing those gigantic headphones. 
And you just knew he was up to no good because one afternoon while he was snoozing like a homeless guy sprawled out on your living room sofa, you went through his iPod playlist and found it filled with artists like Dubstep and Skrillex and... You call that music? And when he went to college, it was all downhill from there. He got in with the wrong crowd right away. They got him hooked on recycling. And you'd want to help out and send him money, but instead of spending it on school supplies and food, you'd look at his bank statements and you'd see he was blowing it all on this thing called Kiva. And after the first year, he brought your car back. It said he was trying to reduce his footprint and wanting to become a minimalist. And he didn't need your help with a rent deposit this summer because he was becoming a bum and living in a tent in the hills above the college. Now, the final straw for you is when he put that third-party candidate's bumper sticker on his bicycle. You raised him better than that! Over your dead body, he's going to cave to some slick-talking politician's pigeon party platform promising the promotion of people with problems in the public eye. Now, maybe you could even forgive that, but now he's informing you he's not taking over his father's practice. What's that? He wants to be a photographer instead? He switched his major to what? Oh, yeah, you're going to fly real far in the world of business with that hideous beard of yours. Okay, now, before you put a wedge in your family's relationship, let's go back and review history here. Remember, it was your generation that scared your parents to death. You remember 1967? There's a whole generation. That song. Soon every nut within a thousand miles drove to that park to jam out to psychedelic rock music, grow their hair out, and protest the Vietnam War. You know what happened to that never-trust-anyone-over-30 crowd? They're at home, collecting Social Security, calling their broker worried about their 401k, watching cable news, and fretting over their wayward children and grandchildren who listen to strange music, live like bums, and grow ugly facial hair. You see, it's all just a cycle. There's a quote attributed to Winston Churchill. I, I don't know if he actually said it or not, but it goes something like this. He says... If a young person isn't liberal, he has no heart. If an old person isn't conservative, he has no brain. Now, if you set aside the political interpretation of that, you could say young people are designed to explore a little bit. Their crazy ideas are the ones that rejuvenate the world. But in turn, we won't call you old, but middle-aged people tend to be a lot more cautious in order to keep some of those crazier ideas from rocking society apart and help keep society nice and stable. So you could say if there's no long-term damage, there's no long-term harm. And my grandmother, who raised two kids during the 60s, always had great advice. Don't worry about the hair or the beard. They can always get a haircut. (laughs) Excellent advice. Now, when you think about it, um, is it rebellion? Is that what this is about? Or is this these rascally kids rebelling and being independent? Or uh, it's interesting. You don't see a lot of major innovations done by those old coots, right? Those 70-plus-year-olds that are all conservative. You don't see them starting immense movements, do you, except down in Florida in some neighborhood. (laughs) But in the reality, um, this battle's been going on between the elders and the youngers. I just made that up. And um, we're going to see if we can't cut through it today. On the show, 
bringing on uh, an expert, Dr. Matt Barkdell, who is a, an LMFT and expert in marriage and family issues and systems. He's going to help us kind of cut through some of this. What really is healthy? What's not? When should we intervene with our child that we think is distancing? And, uh, and really, what's maybe the most effective way to do it? That's what we're talking about, folks. Stick with us. We're not going anywhere, but, well, for a bit. For two minutes, we'll be back right here after, on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Next, from spacesuits to stadium domes, a fabric that performs. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Chances are pretty good that you've sat under a roof derived from innovative materials that were originally designed for NASA spacesuits, and you probably cheered when you did it. For decades, stadium roofs and structures have been built using a fabric derived from NASA spacesuit materials. The original spacesuit material was based on a fiberglass cloth coated with Teflon, which made it stronger than steel, yet feather light. Aeronautical engineer Walter Byrd founded Byrd Air Structures back in the 1950s, and it wasn't long before he saw how space-age technology could be leveraged for a strong but lightweight roofing material. The cloth lets light pass through, but deflects heat. Not only is the material energy efficient, it becomes stronger than steel in what engineers call a tensecrity structure. That strength was tested back in 2008 when tornado winds over 130 miles per hour battered Atlanta, but the Georgia Dome's fabric roof was hardly bothered. And that was great news to the 20,000 basketball fans that were in the stadium at the time. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. After one of the most bizarre games in the history of the rivalry, the fans have rushed the field again. And a heartbreaking ending for the Cougars. It hit the upright, it's no good, and the Utes have won it. BYU must now bounce back in one of the toughest venues in college football. The Smurf Turf of Bronco Stadium. BYU football versus Boise State. This Thursday on BYU Radio. Pre-game begins at 8 p.m. Eastern time with kickoff scheduled for 9. Here on the home of Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We uh, we're talking about rebellion. When does rebellious? When do the rebellious children actually equal rebellion? How do you know how, when they're really off in the deep end? Is it when they're drowning and they can't breathe and they're going crazy? Or, you know, are there ways to kind of uh, anticipate and help our children along instead of just um, getting so mad once they start being independent from us? We're bringing on Dr. Matt Barkdell. Now, Dr. Barkdell is a licensed marriage family therapist. He um, graduated and did some work from Brigham Young University. He also went to the University of Nebraska for some of his graduate education. He has three kids of his own, and uh, he's three for three, and no one has died. Dr. Barkdell, welcome to the program. They haven't died yet. Not yet. How old are they? Good to have you, Matt. Good to have you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
Oh, they're great. No, they're, uh, let's see, seven years old, oh. ten years old, and almost 13 in oh, a couple of see, weeks. see, so that's I'm where they just start rebelling. I know, I know. That's going to happen. No, I don't anticipate it. we got good kids, but they've given a few gray hairs, but I think all is well. <laughs> that's what they're for, huh? Oh, you bet. Why not? <laughs> well, when we get into this, it's, you know, I think there's been the eternal battle between teenage kids and their parents, or even college kids, where they, they're trying to exercise their independence, right? They're trying to be different. They're trying to be free. And at what point is it really that we need to intervene, we need to worry? You know, I, that's an excellent question, Matt. And so many times when parents are asking those same questions, or if, like your previous example of the boy that's um, losing them because of a girlfriend or because of something like that, they're, the, the interesting thing that we have to take into consideration here is we have to look at the full spectrum. First of all, we have this little thing in our world of counseling and uh, psychology called developmentalism. Right. You know, these kids are striving to become independent. That's what they're doing. That's how they are wired. At those kinds of ages, these preteen slash teen years, if that's kind of where we're talking about, even when you're even younger, they drive you crazy because, Daddy, I do that. Mommy, I do that. I want to do that. Let me, let me. It drives you nuts. But the thing is, is that they're trying to become more and more independent. So when they get later in life, they can then break away from mom and dad. Social peers, they're a lot more important than family. It just gets to be that way. These phase, so, so they're, they're really uh-huh. stages. They're, they're, they're the developmental stages, and they're critical, aren't they? They're incredibly critical, and it drives parents nuts (laughs) about that because, you know, what happened to my sweet little Tommy? He was an angel. Sweet little Sally. You cuddled up with me. We read stories together, and all of a sudden, I'm no longer important to you. Right. Well, exactly. And and it could be where the values of the family start being uh, tested. Those boundaries that have been established for such a long period of time, they're stretching those boundaries a little bit mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, there needs to be some flexibility there. But at the same time, you as parents, you do need to have and set forth certain rules and expectations of the child. But again, with that, they're always stretched a little bit. That's always what seems to happen at those critical ways. And, it, and it, I guess it too, like the younger children will stretch it by telling you no, and they'll you know, ignore your your demands or whatever, or they won't finish their dinner. And then the teenager might, you know, come home a little later than you thought or whatever. I, I guess when we get more into like these college kids and... Oh, yeah. Um, but by the way, we call them kids, but these are college adults, uh-huh. <laughs> our, ad- yeah. our adult children. They That's when we really start to worry because I guess some of it is because we've lost the reins anyway, but also some of their decisions can be huge. They are. They are. When they emancipate, when they turn that magic age of 18, when legally they can do really what they want, and there's no accountability most of the time with the parents, of course. But, you know, one thing that I think we need to be careful of when we start working with this, um, um, with our kids, is when we start dealing with isolated incidents here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to, again, maintain boundaries and so forth. And you have to keep set rules. Now, if they go off to college, that's a little bit different because you just kind of hear what's going on. You don't, right. You're not around them 24-7 a day like you used right. to be. Or you could read the police report. You know, you could do that, too. And that'll <laughs> give you a lot record. of information. But you have to know that there was a police report. 
Yeah. But you, you're saying don't get into the now. isolated situations because it really is the whole it's the whole context of everything, not just these one off events. Exactly. Now, one of the things that people have to start considering, especially parents, <clears throat> is when you're going through and start understanding and noticing that there are patterns. Uh, first of all, the things that they used to enjoy, the things that they used to really gravitate towards, they're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Uh, the other kinds of issues that take place all along the way, like, uh, you know, they're not doing as well in school as they used to be. Uh, they're not writing home or they're not calling as often. Now, again, these might be things that can happen here and there mm-hmm. and just, you shouldn't worry about. But if you notice these gradual patterns becoming more and more pronounced or less and less pronounced based on, you know, what the issue is. Yeah. We, that's the reason to be a little bit more concerned. When st- people start getting depressed, they use some kind of means, whether it be, you know, drugs, uh, alcohol, you know, anything that might be able to kind of tap that a little bit. Uh, friends influence, all of a sudden they change appearance. Even if it doesn't even seem like that it's so much in the clothes, but just more in the countenance. Yeah. You know, people, I think parents need to trust in their instincts. Well, and and there are signs, right? I mean, these are, it's interesting, one of my favorite quotes says, uh, you cannot not communicate. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? So your child, your children are communicating through all of these things, grades dropping, appearance, you know, becoming more distant. So you're saying one key to this and being able to read it appropriately is don't just get hung up on one thing, but a culmination of multiple things can very easily be telling you something. That's very good. I, I, I liken it to sweeping you know, dirt underneath the carpet. You can do that for a while, and right. you can be pretty good at, at oh, yeah. acting it out. But I always tell my clients, that rug is only so big. <laughs> and, That's right. And it's going to start looking puffy. It's going to start spilling out the sides. You're going to start seeing a little bit of dirt here and there show up, and you're going to start wondering, now, wait a minute. There's something here that wasn't you. I don't know what I can't put my finger on it, but something's wrong. I love that. And um, how do we know at what point? Because it seems like a lot of this, too, is the parents' problem being unable to let stuff go and their need to control. You know, that's a perfect way to say it. The The fact is, is that control is a very natural thing. You want to maintain control because you love. Mm-hmm. You don't want <clears throat> say you made some mistakes in your past. You don't want to see your child make similar mistakes. You want to be protective. Or on the other side of things, you may not you know, care so much, but at the same time, you see the dangers, you see the things out there that could be potentially damaging, and there's so many things that you just want to do to be able to protect that. Now, those solitary kind of things that you were referring to earlier, Matt, right. they're, they're important and they need to be addressed. And there are things that, you know, you want to be able to learn. That's what a parent's all to do. They're to be able to set forth the, the structure and the wisdom for the child to be able to understand and move forward. Even into their college years, there are going to be many times when if you open up that line of communication, that child will keep calling you and just say, look, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. Or they may not, they might do other things, but in their own way, they'll reach out. If that stops happening, like those patterns, we need to begin looking at some of the signs that perhaps needs to uh, kind of come forward. Yeah, the bigger and, ones, right? The, 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 the ones you one. need to kind of uncover. 
Yeah, those big ones, let me tell you. And you know as a parent what those are. Now, you may not know the specifics, but you do know that there is something happening. Mm-hmm. Now, if the child decides to divulge that information or not, the, the nice thing, and I've kind of got something prepared here a little bit later on, is perhaps some ways to be able to keep that relationship intact so when those days do come and when there seems to be a rebellion or something, that there will be more likelihood that we can open that channel of communication. Oh, excellent. See, in fact, we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll take a break soon, and when we come back, I would love to have you um, kind of give us the list, the things that we should be doing when we know we need to have an intervention. Like when we not, – not an intervention sounds like a big deal. When we know we just <laughs> need to bring it up. And start and so like what would be a proper way to bring it up? How do because what I've kind of found is how how we approach this very sensitive moment will determine all future moments of how we are going to end up having to handle it. Right. So if I run them off the limb and the cat gets too far out on the limb, the cat may jump, and I may never get another chance at that cat um, if we're not careful. That's right. I mean, you know, there's many different stories of uh, people who have really led great lives, great influences on their families, but there seems to be a little sheep out there that has wandered off kind of into the uh, abyss a little bit and, you know, had the same opportunity as all the other kids, but for one reason or another, they just do something different. You have to look systemically. You do have to look at, well, how am I contributing to this? You, you do have to look at those right. um, factors. You just can't say, well, it's all or nothing. Now, part of it could certainly be us, and that's why we do need to look systemically at what I mean by systemic is, well, friends, uh, peers, family members, um, you know, you know, uh, church settings, ecclesiastical leaders. Yeah. If you look at it in a whole, then I think you're able to see a little more clearly as opposed to looking at a one-dimensional you as mm-hmm. opposed to a multi-dimensional us. I love that. And it's, it really, I mean, it's much more complicated. I think that's one of our problems as humans in a way is we, we kind of make it cause effect, like one cause, one effect, where it might be really multiple causes, multiple effects. You know, it could be their age. It could be their exploring because it's the first time they've been away to college. It could also be your history, your upbringing. You've gone to, a, you've been a member of a religious organization and now you're kind of away from that. So you have to make your own decisions. It could also just be the stress of school. It could be that your mom calls too much. I mean, it could be 10 things weighing in, can't it? Yeah, and it's simple because in our little brains, we just want them to talk and just yeah. say, well, what's your deal? What's going on? What's mm-hmm. happening? And on the other side, they're just saying, eh, no. Yeah, that last time no, I told you, no, 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 no. I got reamed. Don't exactly. want to do that again. Oh, exactly. So when they true. turn 18, 19, 20, when they're away, that can be a great time where, hey, we got a little more distance from each other. Mm-hmm. And we can actually have a really good time because we're not hovering over you so much anymore. And so you tend to see that a little bit more with, uh, you know, pre-college days. You start to see that that tug of wanting to communicate, not communicates out there. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you do can see it in the college years, especially if you kind of saw this coming over some time. There's been the signs, but there's just not been the right time or the right environment or the you know, the right situation where you really wanted to bring something up. Oh, that's so true. Okay, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Matt Barktel, and uh, Matt is an expert in marriage and family um, therapy. He works with a lot of families on issues like this, and we'll be back with Dr. Barktel to talk more about that. But when we do, in fact, Matt, I was thinking about this because 
because um, I wanted to play this little story that one of our producers put together. Maybe the re- reality is um, these kids are just afraid of becoming like us, right? <laughs> and <laughs> so <point. laughs> uh, are we really destined to become like our parents? You know, how do we know? Our, one of our producers, Bryce, has put some of these stories to uh, help share his ideas with us. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce's Right. All I wanted was a burger, but sitting there in that line at the drive-thru, my dad thought it was a wonderful opportunity to give me a window into the future. He said, one day you will say something, and you will hear my voice come out of your mouth, and it will freak you out. He said it happened to him, and there was nothing that I could do to avoid it. The first sign that he was onto something was when my voice bottomed out at age 13 and everyone started getting us confused. But he's right, it's kind of hard to avoid, but it's not all that surprising when you really think about it. You know in school when they bring up the whole nature versus nurture debate? I find this strange because not only is it no longer a debate, we figured it out years ago, and the result of it all? The realization that our genes play into about half of who we become come and our environment covers the other half. Yeah, I know, it's pretty underwhelming. But whether you like it or not, you are going to become like your parents. The first time it happened to me, it didn't freak me out, but it certainly got my attention. As long as we're talking about inevitability, you must have killer luck if you're able to find roommates who are willing to do the dishes, because to this day, I still haven't. But one day I was preparing some food and I needed to use the garbage disposal, but there was 40 pounds of dishes in the way. With a hot pan in one hand, I decided to yell, STOP LEAVING DISHES IN THE GARBAGE DISPOSAL SIDE OF THE SINK! I was immediately silent at the end of that sentence, my eyes got wide at the realization that those were not my words. I then had a flashback throughout my childhood where my dad would get at me and my sister for doing the exact same thing all the time. But see, now it makes perfect sense. You can't use the garbage disposal when the dishes are in the way. Isn't it strange how parents get smarter and smarter the longer you live away from home? Or sometimes it's something totally unimportant like your laugh. When something is sudden and so funny that it makes you cry, my dad and I have the exact same laugh. It's not really a big deal until you both do it at the same time. As far as freakouts go... That's probably as close as I ever got. But I never had time to care because something uproariously funny just happened. Although sometimes these similarities can afford you wonderful opportunities, like impersonations. Now, I don't mean in a mocking way. If I sound like my dad on the phone, how well can I do it in person? Here's the setup. First, make sure dad is gone. Second, make sure someone in the house doesn't know he's gone. Then, you just hide and yell at someone in his voice. It works on sisters and nephews alike, but it doesn't seem to work on moms very well, yet. So what I'm really saying is, it's not all bad. Regardless, they may not get to you now, but they will eventually get you. In one way or another, whether it's the sound of your voice or their wisdom being expelled from your mouth, you can't escape your parents. It is inevitable. Just take the good and leave the bad. It's what they want you to do anyway. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. I love it. Man, Bryce is turning into an adult. And he's getting it. Don't you remember oh, when you heard your parents' voice in your vocal cords? Yikes. Okay, we'll be back. We're talking about wayward children. How wayward are they really? And how do you approach them? We're talking with Dr. Matt Barkdell after this on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Mitt Romney is standing by the comments he made about 47% of Americans being in the Obama camp, but he admits he made a poor choice of words. In the video obtained by Mother Jones magazine, Romney's heard telling donors nearly half the electorate pays no income taxes yet insists on government benefits, and these voters are committed to President Obama. Is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them. At a hastily called news conference, Romney acknowledged his words were not well chosen, but said he stands by the sentiment. Among those that uh, pay no tax, approximately 47% of Americans, I'm not likely to be highly successful with the message of lowering taxes. Whatever the case, Team Obama calls this another gaffe that shows Romney out of touch. Mark Smith at the White House. An appeals court is allowing the government to continue enforcing an anti-terrorism law that was thrown out earlier by a judge. Last week, a federal judge found a provision of the National Defense Authorization Act unconstitutional. Catherine Forrest ruled the government has plenty of tools against terrorists and that a section empowering it to indefinitely detain anyone accused of giving assistance to a terrorist group is both overreaching and impermissibly vague. The government asked for a stay of the order, and an appeals judge has granted it. Raymond Lawyer says the law may be enforced until at least next Friday when a three-judge federal panel will hear arguments on it. Warren Levinson, New York. A new study reveals that a growing number of U.S. troops admit to and partake in substance abuse. This study is from the prestigious Institute of Medicine, part of the National Academy of Sciences. It finds that in 2008, the last year for which data is available, binge drinking among active duty service members rose to 47 percent. About 20 percent of service members reported they drank heavily. And the study concludes that the traditional ways of helping the troops aren't as effective as newer methods might be, like better trained counselors and more outpatient care. Rita Foley, Washington. A New York gallery will be displaying the recently bought Scream painting that sold for over $120 million. The Scream is going on display at the Museum of Modern Art October 24th for six months. Edvard Munch's Pastel on Board sold for $120 million at auction in May. The buyer has not been publicly identified. Though the image of a hairless man, hand on cheeks against a brilliant orange sky, is one of the most familiar and most copied and parodied in modern art, the originals have only rarely been seen outside Norway. Munch made four of them. The other three are in Norwegian museums. The exhibit will be under tight security. Two versions were stolen, one in 1990. 94 and another 10 years later. Warren Levinson, New York. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Carry on my son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, Kansas! This brings back memories of all my messed up sisters going their wayward ways, making my mother cry. We're talking about wayward children that are starting to slide away. Uh, And again, some of them really aren't sliding. Some of them are just doing exactly what adults are supposed to do. They're supposed to test some of their limits in life. And some are really slipping away. And we have Matt Barkdall on, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, has been working with with clients and families and and just dealing with this this issue head on. So we appreciate you, Matt, being here. Thanks so much. 
Oh, happy to be here. Thanks a lot for the invitation. You bet. Now, help us on the fixed side. So we know it's kind of, some of it's normal, some of it, you know, gets a little bit uh, more risky, and they get into more risky behaviors. And earlier in the earlier break, we... um, we figured out that we need to, you know, make sure that we listen to our kids, pay attention, figure out what's really going on with them. But what should we do once we kind of have noticed that something's more serious, we're worried enough that we need to do it, that we need to say something? How do we go about approaching these kids so hopefully not to scare them away? You know, that's good. And one thing that I would probably emphasize here is that, you know, sometimes it's, you know, too much, too fast. Uh, when you have that gut reaction that something's going on, you want to sit them down on a chair, yeah. you want to uh, start pointing fingers and things, because it's out of, it's certainly out of love and it's certainly out of concern, but, you know, we, we do need to be careful, especially if that hasn't been the trend in the family. Right. Uh, that this kind of uh, discussion has been the case. It's like a frog being boiled in hot water. It'll jump right out and leave. You know, uh-huh. going, oh, I don't this doesn't look, this doesn't sound right. So making a... Uh, kind of a family commitment to be able to feel like you can open up, feel like you can uh, discuss things, feel like you can, you know, bring up subjects. And a lot of that legwork is done early, right? That had to have done, you have to do that. You can't just hope to all of a sudden turn that on when they're 20. No, you, you really can't. I mean, you certainly can, and you certainly can move forward that direction, but you know, the awkwardness certainly is there, but it's not to say that the people who haven't kind of had that environment uh, growing up can't it. do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as a preventative measure, maybe it's something for us to uh, just think about a little bit more to make sure that we have that open line and uh, just a place where people can communicate. But, you know, kind of going to your original uh, question, there are about four or five things that have kind of been on my mind as uh, this topic has moved forward. And, you know, the first thing, and, I, you know, it, it's, it's a very broad word, but it's one that just hits. And it, it's not even in the psychological field so much. It is, but there's so many other kind of interventions out there. But it's simply to love. Yeah, you know, to when care. doubt, love. Mm-hmm. Now, love is just this overarching, you know, principle. And the other things I'm going to talk about really are aspects and, uh, if you will, you know, smaller portions of what love is. But when there is love, meaning that there is trust, meaning that there is an understanding saying, look, you know me, and I know you, and no matter what happens and no matter what choices you make, whether you want to, you know, adopt the... uh, Democratic or Republican platform, whether you want to play bass guitar, whether you want to be a manicurist when you grow up. I mean, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that the fact of the matter is, is the more we love, the more connection that we have, even if there's a perceived rebellion going on, despite all that, they still know who you are, and they still know that as parents, we want the best for you. Right. In other words, keep the bridge erect. Don't, mm. don't dynamite the bridge. Because if somebody comes home and just says, look, I've had it with my religion, I've had it with my, um, <clears throat> my belief system, I think your way of thinking about things is completely warped. Right. And, by the way, I'm not doing what you want me to do. The values of this family stink. I'm obviously painting an yeah. extreme situation, but they're extreme examples. But, but if they come and say that, and then all of a sudden you go off... 
one of my rules is always you don't um, don't follow the lead of the most challenged one. Oh, I like that. So when you're when the when the person is really struggling anyway, the last thing they need is you to just become reactive to them struggling. Then all of a sudden, now it's okay. All right, well, I okay. Game on. You did. You hurt me. I hurt you. Here we go. You know that really that nicely blends into the next one, yeah. and that's something you mentioned earlier was simply to listen. Mm. Now the good Lord gave us uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right. Exactly. You know, we we need to do double the listening and less talking. We really have to do that. Actually. An old uh, Native American Indian proverb says, listen, or thy tongue will keep thee deaf. Oh, excellent. So one of those things that we need to consider is to make sure that when something kind of comes up and when there's a sit-down moment, or hopefully there's been a history of being able to sit down together and talk about these things, is that you do twice the listening and less talking. Cut it. 50% more listening or 100% and just less talking. Listen to their mouths. Listen to what they have to say. If they say, I don't know what to tell you, you can simply very, very much say, well, neither do I. But somehow we're going to get through this. And mm-hmm. so it's just being able to keep that love, which is connected to listening. I love it, too, because once they're talking and you're listening, you're finally getting the data you need. Like, what's the severity of this? What? How deep are they into this problem? There's so many ideas of, and information you need before you even need to freak out. Exactly. But by getting them talking, uh, I've noticed it lowers their emotion. It also has the chance to build trust if you listen, and you're going to finally get the data you've been wanting. Or not, not wanting, but needing. Right. It's an interesting paradox that we got Robert Brault out there saying, you know, you never get people's fuller attention than when you're listening to them. Mm. You know, I mean, you, you've got these great authors and these great little quotes out there about listening that really make a lot of sense. You know, there's another one by Winston Churchill that says, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Oh, I love that. You need to, the reactiveness of when somebody starts trying to do the rebellion thing, saying one thing or another, it is actually an act of courage, if you will, to close your mouth for a minute, Mm -hmm. listen to what they're saying, if they're still in the room. (laughs) Sometimes there needs to be a burnout period, and that's okay, get them out, you know, let 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 them chill out for a while. But always come back and just say, look, the love is there, we listen, let's try and see what we can do to to help the situation. That's the second thing. Yeah, there's that's obviously great. the principle of love, and there's, of course, listening. The, uh, the third thing that's been on my mind really has to do a lot with not only love, but patience. So if you think about, now, true love always is equated with romantic love. Right. But true love also exists within a family unit in terms of uh, siblings, in terms of friends, and so forth. Patience is an absolute necessity here. My, my father, he uh, has written a lot on the subject of wayward children, kind of from a uh, religious perspective. Was that, did that have anything to do with you, Matt? Uh, you know what? I'm about to divulge something okay. on the air Let's that I've never it. told anybody. Okay. And that is, no way, I was a golden child. So you, yeah, you were the I think good my one. parents are listening right now, so <laughs> let me tell them that uh, Noah. Because <laughs> your sure dad's not here to rebut, so that's great. Yeah. No, he can call in, I imagine, but <laughs> we can uh, see how that goes. <laughs> but uh, he, he made an interesting observation, and uh, I actually called him before this just to make sure I got this right. But 
you know, true love waits. It says, I will wait for you, I will wait with you, and I will wait upon you. Mm. So if you think about those three things of waiting, for, with, and upon you, I, I really like the very last one, upon you. In other words, I will serve you. Yeah. I will love you. And uh, actually, it's interesting, Khalil Gibran, yeah. uh, the author of The Prophet from Lebanon, he makes this great observation that work is love made visible. So if you're working and if you're serving, and if they see, the children see you doing that, the more that you're able to sit down and communicate with that, if they see you serving them, now, it's not like, you know, I'm going to wait on you hand and foot, but it's just those little things. Right. Well, even really just being patient, huh? I mean, just being, like, if they know who you are and they know what you're really like, they've lived with you for 20 years, for heaven's sakes, they know what really causes you to react and you're not going to react. You're just being patient. That's huge. I mean, that's that says great. everything you need to know. Thank you, Matt. I, I think there is such a truth to that because the best thing that you can do for a child to sit down and really have them listen to you and you listen to them more importantly is to do something they don't expect. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's something that's kind of what we can start doing is we, you know, haven't had that environment, but we do something that they don't expect is I'm going to drop a bombshell and they're ready to, they've got all the conversation in their head. They got all the rebuttals. They've got everything all planned out. And the act of just simply saying something different. Yeah. Which would come from being loving and having listened and having been influenced and the whole patience everything we're talking about, right? Things like that. And absolutely. I mean, these things almost seem a bit <clears throat> juvenile, but when it comes, you don't need to be a you know, have a doctorate in psychology or anything like mm-hmm. that just to understand that these elements of being able to sit down and really connect with the child and really try and understand what's going on in their lives so you can be of service to them and love them and and be able to be there for them. It doesn't take, you know, pills and medication right. and deep psychiatric therapy to, to do these things. A lot of the time, and of course there's always places for that, but, sure. you know, when we're trying to just kind of break the ice and just get to first base perhaps mm-hmm. is to you know, really try these little things out. And if I may, perhaps a last, yeah. a last thing is, especially when something is really going wrong, it's not going the way you want it. Uh, it seems like that whatever is going on, it's just driving a wedge further and further away from you. You're still patient. You will wait for you. I'll wait for you, with you, and upon you. Mm-hmm. But we have to prioritize our emotions. What do you There's mean a, by that? What is that? What I, what I mean by that is there is a great quote from a churchman who states that every worry under the sun, there is a remedy or there is none. If there is a remedy, hurry and find it. If there is none, never mind. Hmm. So, so what I mean by prioritize our emotions <clears throat> is to say, look, if a child is out there doing things that you feel like is dangerous, number one, we do what we can to make sure we intervene. There's going to come a point, and I'm sure some of the uh, listening audience is thinking about, well, mine is so much more severe. This little point feels like it's almost counterproductive. But in order for you to be of service to your child, you need to be of service to yourself. 
and you need to prioritize, you know, the things that you can deal with and that you can't. In other words, am I expending all of my energy emoting over something I just don't have control over? Hmm. Or am I, am I putting my energy and my health and my productiveness in an area where I do have control and where I can intervene and I can think at the end of the day, even if things are just as bad as possible going on and your heart is breaking, the tears are flowing, there is still an element of control that you can have and there is still an element of, you know, places where you can intervene. I love that. It's uh, it's almost like all of these points aren't, they're not always as immediately to fix the problem as it is to just build our influence with the person. Exactly. So we're trying to build our influence so that we can impact them and influence them more versus, I'm not here to fix you. Let me first understand. Let me listen. Let me love you. I'll be patient. And let me model for you what healthy looks like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's time to be able to say, look, buddy, you're, you're out of control. Screwed up. You That's are right. out of control. And I hope, and the thing is, it's not going to be a surprise to them that they, they know that. Well, it, it would only well. really matter that you say that if they're going to listen. Yeah. But if but you haven't done any you, of this stuff, they're not going to listen to you. That's where you establish that foundation of trust, that foundation of love and patience. You know, now, again, whether or not that's been fully erect and everything, it really doesn't matter. Right. You know, it, it helps. It, it certainly helps. It makes things a little bit easier. But the thing is, is that the more, the less emotional we can be over this, what I mean by emotional is making emotional decisions. Like and reactive. that's usually where we are more reactive. But we want to become more objective right. and be able to understand with our two ears, listening or our tongue will keep thee deaf, you know, meaning yeah. that we really don't know what's going on. Hey, Matt, um, help me with this as we wrap this up. What's, give us one challenge. What's the one challenge as parents? So as some man is driving in Poughkeepsie, New York, and his grandchild is struggling, what is one, what's our challenge? What's the one thing we should do? Well, Poughkeepsie, let me just give you just some very basic advice. The, thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is if you're worried, you have the right to worry. If you're concerned, you have the right to be concerned. <clears throat> if you have a grandchild out there that is struggling and, and having, and it seems like that, you know, no matter what it seems to be done, it's just not going anywhere. The fact is, is that you do have control over what can be done. You can be an influence. Sometimes it's not necessarily mailing them gifts or anything like that, but it's just little tiny things that can be done over a period of time. You know, it might be very minuscule, or it might be great. It might be huge. That's right. But, uh, you know, trust in your instincts. Great advice, Matt. So appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, and we're going to have Matt back to give us more advice on parenting. Uh, Matt Barkdell, um, licensed marriage family therapist from here in Salt Lake City. Uh, great guy. Matt, thanks for joining us. We will be back after this break for the rest of you talking more about this on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A piece of Apollo-era technology is still saving lives every day. 
This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Sailors the world over have a common link to the Apollo astronauts. They all rely on a life raft design first pioneered by NASA for returning moon explorers. The Apollo moon capsules returned to Earth by splashing down in the ocean. Then the astronauts got out of their capsule and into an inflated raft before being picked up by helicopters. The conditions at sea could be very violent, and just the rotor wash from the rescue helicopters could capsize a conventional raft. But a NASA design innovation from a team at the Johnson Space Center created pockets under the raft that used the surrounding seawater as free ballast, greatly stabilizing the raft without adding any weight to it for flight. They called it a hydrodynamically ballasted stabilization system. A private raft maker leased the design from NASA, and the thousands of rafts made with this feature over the years have saved more than 450 sailors to date. The rafts have stayed upright in waves as high as 32 feet and 195 knot winds, using the weight of trapped water as ballast. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. For regular updates on BYU radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about dealing with your wayward child. How do you connect to him? We just had on Matt Barkdale, a licensed marriage family therapist, who gave us some tools, some ideas, some simple ideas, just simple, but they make a huge difference. Loving them, listening, being patient, prioritizing your emotion. But uh, if you've ever found yourself wondering where you need to set boundaries for your own children or your grandchildren, our producer Madison gives her insights on how to deal with teenage rebellion. Has your kid wanted to grow out his hair? Or maybe she has started talking about how she eventually wants to become a blogger and live in a studio apartment downtown. You could have noticed your kid's friends starting to remark over how hipster she is or how it is just totes fab. Maybe he had his music turned up so loud on his headphones that you could hear it from five feet away and the music just sounded like someone had put metal into a blender. Or heaven forbid, they announce at dinner that they have become vegan. You may be worried about your child's English grade or their taste in music, but these lifestyle choices are currently what is hip in pop culture. There's no need to stress out about some of these things. They are exploring their need for independence, finding a separate identity, and testing your authority. If you are really worried about the well-being of your child, my recommendation is to choose which things are really important to you. If you have not yet, talk with your teen and set up clear boundaries and stick to them. It might seem tempting to let some of the small things like breaking curfew slide, but if you hold fast to what you said, it will erase future problems that might pop up, like sneaking out, because your teen knows that you mean business. There's a certain point where you have to start worrying about your child, like skipping class, drugs, alcohol, etc. But if your kid just wants to wear those 3D glasses with the lenses poked out, 
Uharam. Just make sure you take a lot of pictures so in a few years you can look back at this phase and laugh with your well-adjusted, successful, independent young adult. Madison knows we have brought Madison on with us right now. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Matt. We call you Maddie because <laughs> sure. I'm a Maddie. Um, now, Madison, it's funny when we deal with BYU uh, because at BYU, rebellion is different, it seems like. Like I was asking my team what are the things that they did that were most rebellious. And so I had to ask Maddie on the air. Matt, were you a very – Madison, were you a very rebellious child? Um. I think not. My parents might. Most differ. rebellious thing you did that you dare mention on national radio? Um, probably would be I fell asleep in my friend's car and I did not get home until four in the morning. <sighs> what was his name? <laughs> his name was Joe. But it was I knew an it accident. was a guy. I it knew was it. An accident. Had, oh, it's oh, oh man. <laughs> What's his name? Joe. Yeah. Wow, man. Hey, Joe, watch out. We know where you live. Oh, that was naughty. Let's have. We got to have Sky on for this because no one's more rebellious than Skyler. Skyler, now were you a rebellious Truth. kid, dude? Um, yeah, I was, I was actually pretty rebellious. I. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to mention things, but I. There. I remember one summer I snuck out probably every single night. To what? What were you doing? Uh, I bet you were swimming in the local pond. <laughs> we, we jumped off the bridge a couple times. We did. We did Are a lot of sort of serious? stuff. Serious. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, why you have bad knees. By the way. <laughs> really? Jumping in the water? Oh, you jumped in the water. How yeah. How big is the bridge? It's probably like 30, 40 feet. So you are rebellious. Eh, maybe a little. I was in high school. I was pretty rebellious. Yeah. Um, one of our producers, won't name names, said that she uh, she stayed up all night to finish a book. That was oh, me. Man. Was that you, <laughs> that Madison? Was me. <laughs> I wasn't going to name names, Madison. Naughty, naughty, naughty. I know Rob's got one. Rob, what, how about you? You're rebellious. W- you got rebellion written all well, over. Well, I your wasn't face. creative enough to come up with that kind of stuff. <laughs> you you know? were too tired as a kid. No, until I got behind the wheel of a car. Oh, oh yeah. then all kinds rebel of car. Stuff. Oh, great. Natal, just quickly well, you about have... your dangerous rebellion. Well, yeah, so I was telling you, I had this old Datsun. It was great. The drive shaft was bent, so the car would vibrate really yeah. bad well, at 45 miles an hour as you go down the street. Parts are falling said, off. Don't take that car out on the freeway. You will die. <laughs> okay. You did. Yeah, first thing, took it right out on the freeway. You don't have to tell me no twice. <laughs> and your car <laughs> fell apart. Oh, see, I really wasn't rebellious either. Um, I was too tired. I think I was just real tired. Really? No, I didn't have a rebellious – I didn't have anything rebellious. I think it's because I watched my mom with my sisters. They were rebellious. And so I'm like, I'm just – because I was just a saint. I was the last child. What was the most rebellious thing you've ever done? Hmm. Nothing. Really. <laughs> yeah, right. I really – I didn't – I was – The golden boy. I was the golden boy. And it's not because I was golden. It's just because I wasn't creative enough. <laughs> well, yeah, I really wish I had something to tell you, but it was nothing uh, – nothing. You're just too cowardly to admit it. I, I am. And be, besides, you know. As soon as these mics are off, we'll oh, get a great coming out. In fact, I've got a video I'll show everybody else once we're off the air. Uh, so just know – let's take some advice. You know, kids are kids. And again, if it's getting dangerous, if it's getting scary, we got to go get help. But one of my favorite stories of the Bible you got to go back to, prodigal son – right? The child is distant, withdrawn, wayward. And the father, when he hears his boy is coming back, he squandered his inheritance. This father goes sprinting out down the path to the front of his property and just embraces this boy and kisses him on the neck, the scripture says. That's the spirit I think we're talking about. People can be wayward and uh, wayward people need more love than anyone else. So, 
Uh, Let's start loving our kids and getting the help they need and figuring out ways to talk to them. Thanks for listening, folks, right here to the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. 